Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. And, um, man, it's been quite a week. Spent the last couple of days fixing things around the house. I was under my bathroom sink for a couple hours yesterday replacing some faucets. And, you know, I don't think there is anything worse in terms of having to fix things around the house than doing plumbing, particularly plumbing that involves getting under a sink, you know, cramming yourself into these tight little spaces. Everything's awkward. You can never reach what you want to reach. You can't get your tool in the right position. Cabinets digging into your back. It's, uh, you know, bad times. Bad fucking times. And today... Fixing the oven, replacing the uh, the oven starter. Welcome to home ownership. Having a blast. But that's enough about me. Enough about my problems. Let's talk about some of the problems facing the United States. You know, Trump was out over the weekend, and if it weren't, you know, if all the the actual wars that we've been bogged down with for the last twenty years weren't enough, you know, the longest running wars in American history: Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya. Syria, the proxy war we have going on in Yemen, uh, we have a potential intervention going on in Venezuela, they're beating the war drums over there, we have tensions rising with Iran, got Bolton out there trying to trying to um, start that war that he's had a hard on for Iran with my entire life. If all that wasn't bad enough, Trump has now decided to wage another war, a different type of war. This is a war that doesn't involve troops on the ground, boots on the ground, whatever they say. It doesn't involve bombing democracy into third world countries. But this is a war that we are more ill-prepared to fight than any other physical confrontation you could imagine. And this war that I'm talking about is the trade war that is now almost full-blown with our nation's biggest foreign creditor, or at least one of our biggest foreign creditors, and that's China. China. China, China, China. Trump has been out in full force over the weekend talking about how, you know, we're getting screwed by China and he's going to increase these tariffs that we have. We, we, have tar- I, we talked about this on a, on a previous episode. That, that he was raising the, the tariffs we had on 200 or 300 billion dollars worth of Chinese imports from 10 to 25 percent, right? Well, that went into effect on Friday, and Chinese did not take kindly to that. 
they they responded in kind. So so now China is increasing tariffs on the goods that they buy from the U.S., which, I mean, it can't be much because our manufacturing sector is a shadow of its former self. But um, whatever, whatever goods they are buying, you know, soybeans, stuff like that, a lot of agricultural products, they're raising the tariffs on that. So... Trump's been out, you know, his whole his whole message throughout the campaign was all these politicians, they're stupid, they're making horrible deals. NAFTA has been one of the worst trade deals in the history of deals, maybe ever. They're making bad deals. Elect me. I'm smart. I know how to I know how to negotiate. I make the best deals. I'll make deals. You won't believe how much how how much winning will do. You know, all that crap. <laughs> and then he comes out and I, I, I couldn't believe I, I could not believe some of the stuff that he was saying after after China retaliated to um, responded to his increase in tariffs by increasing their own tariffs, thereby perpetuating this trade war. You know, he comes out and he and he starts talking about how China's only retaliating because he beat them up so bad in the negotiations, you know. <laughs> And this is coming from Mr. Art of the Deal, Donald Trump, you know, the master of negotiations. And I don't know if maybe um, he didn't cover this in the Art of the Deal or what, but the idea of negotiating, negotiating a deal is you want it to be a win-win or at least perceived to be a win-win, right? You want the other side to think that they're not getting screwed, even if you are screwing them. So... The idea that you're you're beating them up so bad in these negotiations, it doesn't seem like you're you're such a good a, a such a good deal maker if you can't do that without them realizing how badly they're getting beaten up, right? But he has been dangling this trade deal with China over the heads of the markets for over a year now, almost two years. I mean, this is all baked in to the stock market, but every every time. Uh, a headline comes out that's that's favorable that that shows there there might be hope for a new deal or he's optimistic for a deal the market rallies get yeah, 2 300 400 500 point rallies out of just news out of bullshit news even today uh the headline the scrolling headlines on my bloomberg was futures jump as trump comments spark new hope for a trade deal this was after we were down a couple hundred points because the deal was falling apart the day before. It really is unbelievable how news-driven this market is. And it just goes to show you how phony this market is, how it is a house of cards built on nothing but hopes and dreams and cheap money and a bunch of debt. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that later. I wanted to go over the art of a deal, as Trump would say. You know, he's, he's been over-promising. At this point, this deal has been talked up to the point where there is no possible way that whatever deal gets, gets done, if it in fact does get, get negotiated, it will never live up to the promises that he's made, right? He is over-promised, and he will under-deliver. That is guaranteed. You can take that to the bank, all right? And all, all, these, um, all this hope and all these promises that he's made, they have been baked into this stock market. And once this deal does get made, which I don't even think he, I, you know, I can't imagine that he actually wants a deal because he's over-promised it to this extent. 
But once it does get done, if it does get done, there will be a sell-off in the market. This will be what's called a buy the rumor, sell the fact. Okay, so that's a market industry term, right? What the market does is it tries to anticipate things. So when Trump's out here for over two, over a year and a half, two years, whatever it is, talking about this great deal, the market's buying that rumor. They're buying it up. They're investing in the idea that this trade deal is going to get made and it's going to be great for the markets, right? So the market rallies on that. And then once the deal actually gets made, it's already priced into all of the um, relevant market sectors, okay? And the people who have invested in those sectors sell into that news. They bought the rumor of the the deal getting made, and then once it actually gets made, they sell into it. They sell the fact of that deal coming to fruition, and they sell into it, and you get a decline in the market. So this is not going to be um, a, a boon for for these markets if this deal doesn't completely fall apart and we don't just uh, devolve into a a full-blown trade war. Um, he, has, he has wrung this sponge dry. He cannot squeeze out another drop of um, potential good news coming from coming from these trade deals. It's, it's just it's over at this point, if you ask me. But I am notoriously early with these kinds of things. It wouldn't surprise me if they can just come up with a couple more bullshit headlines. He's optimistic, 200-point rally. Then the next day, he's talking trash about China and the market tanks. And then he comes out and he's hopeful again. You know, they'll just keep bouncing back and forth like that. Who knows? The other, the other ridiculous thing that he said, you know, because he's going, he's tweeting like a like a madman because China's retaliating against his um, his tariff increase, right? And and he's got all these asinine ideas of how th- this is this is going to be bad for China and good for the United States, right? And he says uh, one of one of his things was he he plans to use the tariffs, you know, the, the money that he collects from the tariffs. To buy, since a lot of um, what what China imports are are agricultural goods. That's one of the few things that we actually produce is um, agriculture. So, and since he's putting tariffs on those things, the Chinese are, are since the Chinese are putting tariffs on those things, they're they're not going to be buying as much as the, uh, as much of them, right? So our farmers aren't going to be selling as much of them. So so Trump's big his grand plan for instituting these tariffs was he's going to take the money that the the federal government collects in tariffs that US taxpayers are actually paying. US consumers are paying because when Trump puts these 25% tariffs on Chinese goods, the people who buy those goods are the ones who pay those tariffs and that would be us, okay? So assuming that we continue to buy those goods at 25% uh, increase of, in price, Trump's going to take that money that the federal government collects in tariffs, and he's going to use it to buy the farmers' products that they couldn't sell to the Chinese because of their tariffs, and he's going to give them away to other countries. The, t- the taxpayers pay the tariffs, so they're getting ripped off twice, right? So we pay the tariffs, and then we have to... Um, that money that we pay on the tariffs gets basically given to these farmers in exchange for their unsold farm products. All right, and then Trump's going to turn around and just get and just dump all of those goods on on other con- on other countries in the open market. Okay, 
That's his plan. You know, kind of like we did in the Great Depression when the federal government would just buy up a bunch of oranges and they wanted to um, artificially keep prices high. So they would have farmers produce all this stuff, even though nobody could afford to buy them because they wouldn't let the prices come down. And so the federal government would buy them and just let it basically burn it or let it rot in fields. Anyway, so he's going to buy all this up with the tariff money, assuming that comes in, and he's going to dump a bunch of goods on the open market. Now, what's that going to do to the price of, to the price of soybeans or corn or whatever else um, China would would have bought from us absent the the tariffs that they they've now imposed, right? Well, if you increase the supply of something and you just dump a bunch of goods in the open market, well the price of those goods is going to drop because there's now an abundance of goods in the market. You've increased the supply, all right? So you've increased the supply. The price of those goods is going to go down. China can then turn around and buy those goods cheaper than they would have been able to buy them from the United States. And that's assuming that the countries that Trump just gives this food to Trump's giving all this food away. You're assuming that those countries don't just turn around and sell it to the Chinese at 100% profit because they got it for free. So assuming that they don't just turn around and sell it off, China can still buy those goods cheaper. The, the price is going to plummet on these things if you just dump a bunch of goods in the open market. It, it really is unbelievable. And nobody's talking, nobody, you know... Um, Nobody in the mainstream media is discussing this. They all, all these um, neocons think it's like the, the greatest idea ever. You know, stick it to China. Yeah, we're gonna start winning. We can, we can take them. To make matters worse, he he was talking about how it, you know we can win. We can win this trade war. We can win a tariff war, which is absolutely ridiculous. And his rationale for us being able to win it is that we import more goods than China. You know, we import like 500 billion goods and they what 30 billion, 50 billion. So we're going to put we're going to put all these tariffs on 500 billion dollars worth of goods and they can only do it on like 50 billion dollars worth of goods. Whatever it is, right? That's exactly the point. That's the point. We import four or five times what they import. And guess who ends up paying the tariffs? The people who import them, the American consumer. So it's basically like um, firing on your own troops, or, or you know, and thinking you're you're gonna win the war if you kill more of your own soldiers. That's what's gonna happen here because we we are more susceptible to the tariffs because we are more dependent on imports than China is. The, the level of economic ignorance and stupidity surrounding this issue is staggering staggering and and make no mistake about it because there are a, a number of options for for the chinese to hurt america okay i honestly i don't know what what trump is thinking i don't know what these republicans are thinking how they could possibly think that we can win this war first of all maybe one other country owns more u.s debt than china if that they might own more debt than any other country and certainly most countries combined don't own as much of our debt as China. So there's a number of things that the Chinese can do to hurt us economically. One thing they can do is sell treasuries. They, they've been buying treasuries. All right. And I know this, uh, all this economics can get a little confusing to people who are not familiar 
you know, what a treasury is or how, how tariffs work or imports and exports and uh, trade deficits and all this stuff. All right. So let me, let me just try to break this down real quick. I'll give you the cliff notes version economics for dummies. Not that anybody listening to this is a dummy. The fact that you are listening puts you in the 1% of geniuses. But real quick, just when our federal government needs money, since remember the government has no money of its own, it has to issue a bond or a treasury bill. And all that is is it's essentially a loan to the federal government. It's a piece of paper that says you will give me that you will give me the money. I will give you this piece of paper, which is a promise to pay you back that money at a certain point in time. And over the life of this agreement, I will pay you a fixed rate of interest. So treasury bills all have a maturity of less than a year. So there's, you know, there's one month, three month, six month, one year treasury bills. Okay. Treasury notes are issued in increments of between two and 10 years. Okay, so a two-year treasury note, a three-year treasury note, and treasury bonds have the longer maturities of from like 10 to 30 years, okay? And one of, the, one of the dumbest things that the federal government did, this was back during the Obama administration, it was called Operation Twist, okay? And they started basically changing over long-term debt for short-term debt because the, obviously... It's um, cheaper to borrow money for a shorter period of time. And since interest rates were basically zero, it was far cheaper for the government to issue short-term debt than it was to issue like long-term debt. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of this debt that the, the, a lot of these treasuries that um, China is holding is short-term debt. And it's going to mature within the next couple of years. So they don't even have to sell it. They can just let it mature and not reinvest it. And then the government, ha- once when they mature, the government has to give them their money back plus interest, right? So that's going to do a number of things for the Chinese. One thing is um, it hurts our federal government because they, they now have to find somebody else to loan them money, right? And it strengthens the, the Chinese currency, which for some perverted reason... Um, there are people out there that think a weak currency is beneficial to China. It is not. Okay, you want a strong currency. A strong currency means you can buy more stuff with fewer dollars. I mean, they use the yuan, so the stronger the yuan gets, the more um, prosperous the Chinese people are. And this whole idea that we're getting ripped off by China in this relationship—I mean, let's think about this for a second. The Chinese are making a bunch of stuff. Right, they're making up all these things, and they're buying our debt. They're loaning money. They're loaning money to to the American people, to the federal government, so that we can turn around and buy all the stuff that they're making. Right? It's it's almost like a giant vendor financing scheme. So we get all the stuff. You know, we get the the cheap goods, the the shoes, the clothes, uh, the washing machine. Yeah, I I don't know. Look around. Look around your room right now, wherever you are. Pick something up. And look at the the sticker on the bottom of it that says this, you know, made in X country and tell me it's not China. All right. If it's not China, it's something near China, you know, Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, uh, Taiwan, 
You know, I, I guarantee I will bet you dollars to donuts that it's not made in the USA because it's too expensive to manufacture things in the USA. And we can get into all that stuff maybe another time, maybe later in this podcast. We'll see how we're doing on time. But the idea that we get all this stuff, right, and they get these worthless pieces of paper that are, be, that are losing more and more value over uh, every day as, as the government just prints more money and the Federal Reserve is creating money out of thin air. Our dollars are becoming more and more worthless. The Chinese are taking those dollars and they're giving us the, the goods that they've produced. We are benefiting from this relationship. If anything, the Chinese are getting ripped off. But even then, you know, I, I, I can't say that the Chinese people are, I can't say they're getting ripped off. They may be getting, you know, the short end of the stick, but they are still benefiting. They are still better off than they would be. I mean, over a billion Chinese have been pulled out of abject poverty because we've been buying their, the, the goods and services that they've, um, that, that they've been producing. Um, now, I think they could be better off if they would let their currency rise and then the, the Chinese could just buy the goods themselves, but that will come further down the road. The, the fact of the matter is when, when two people trade or two countries trade with each other, not the governments, obviously, the people within those countries, they're only doing it because both sides are better off by, by trading, Okay. And the government cracking down, regulating, inter- interfering with the free trade and decisions of people will never increase their prosperity. That's why these tariffs are such a stupid idea. But we've, you know, we've basically been exporting a bunch of inflation. We've been sending our dollars over to China and they've been sending us the stuff. We do not want that money coming back to our shores. The only reason we haven't, you know, one of the, the few reasons we haven't seen a lot of um, price increases in consumer goods. I mean, they have been going up a lot more than the government would have you believe. You know, the idea that inflation's at two percent is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, most of the inflation we've seen has been in the stock market. You know, in equities. Part of the reason for that is oh, we've been sending all these dollars overseas to China and other countries that have been selling us all these goods, and that money hasn't come back yet. And when it does, it's going to hit us like, an, a, like a tidal wave or an avalanche. It's going to be an avalanche of inflation. And they're going to be buying up at anything that we do produce that isn't nailed down. Property, well, I guess property would be nailed down. They could buy up the property too. I mean, the bottom line is we've been on a gravy train with biscuit wheels. We have been able to live well beyond our means for decades because the Chinese have been willing to loan us the money. They have been saving for us. They have been producing for us. All, all we've been doing is consuming. Consuming is the easy part. Anybody can consume. The hard thing to do is to produce. And that's, that brings me to the other retarded thing that Donald Trump said. You know, he said the best thing for us would just be for the United States to not, you know, for the American people to not pay the tariffs, for these companies to not pay the tariffs, and to just produce the goods themselves as if, you know... There's nothing to it. You can just snap your fingers, and, uh, and now you're just making uh, you're you're making all these Chinese goods in your in our factories here. You know that that's a lot easier said than done. Okay, think of think of what's involved in converting a factory to to produce something that it isn't already producing. Right, you have to retool our entire economy because we don't manufacture 
hardly anything anymore. You have to build new factories. You have to build new machines. You have to train new workers. You have to set up a whole supply chain to get all the materials that you need to, to use to produce the final good. You got you got to go down to fucking city hall and pull permits. You got to get licenses. You got to negotiate, you know, all sorts of tax deals and breaks with the cities. Like when Amazon was trying to get into New York, you have to get environmental studies done. You got to deal with unionized workers, minimum wages. It, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This could take years. The idea that we could just snap our fingers and turn our economy into this manufacturing powerhouse is absolutely ridiculous. And what business is going to undertake this? Nobody knows how long these tariffs are going to be in effect. Trump imposes tariffs and cancels tariffs like it's a bodily function. He could wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday and decide he's going to increase tariffs to 50%. And then he could have, you know... Uh, somebody from China could say, could give him a compliment, tell him they like his hair or some stupid shit like that. And he's like, oh, you know, I think I'll get rid of those tariffs today. Who knows? No business is going to undertake all those things that I just, like a five-year, ten-year fucking plan when the tariffs could be gone tomorrow or six months from now. So the idea that we could produce these things is absolutely ridiculous. We would have to undergo a serious restructuring of our economy that would involve a massive recession to undertake something like that. And really all the Chinese have to do is stop selling their stuff to the U.S., stop buying our treasuries, either sell them, in the, sell them back to the market or let them mature either way. Their currency increases in value, the Chinese people become richer and it's more, you know, the reason they sell their goods to us now is because our, our currency is being they're They're artificially propping up our currency. We've talked about that before on the show. So it's, it's more profitable for these Chinese companies to sell their goods to us because they get our stronger dollars than selling it to the Chinese people. But if that situation in the currency is reversed and all of a sudden the Chinese yuan is worth more than the U.S. dollar, well, then it makes more sense for the Chinese companies to just sell their their shoes to the Chinese, their clothes to the Chinese. And they would be far better off. The Chinese people would be far better off if they would stop sending us their goods and just consume them themselves. They're producing it after all. You don't think that the Chinese people need washing machines? You don't think the Chinese people need shoes and clothes and cell phones and all this stuff that they're producing? I mean, I don't know everything that they're producing, but I know that the Chinese people who are struggling to pull themselves out of very impoverished situation, and what make no mistake about it, what's happened over the last you know, 15, 20 years in China has been incredible. Billions of people, um, not only in China but around the world, have been pulled out of poverty Thanks to capitalism. I mean, make no mistake about it. They're in a much better off situation than they were. But they could, they could reverse the situation that the, American, that the United States has had with them. And they could, they could start riding that, riding that gravy train. And we could have to live within our means for once. So yeah, I, I don't know what the hell Donald Trump is thinking and... and in terms of us being able to stick it to the Chinese and all these idiots, all of these idiots that think that we can win a trade war with China. We don't produce anything. All we produce is debt. We have been living well beyond our means 
for almost my entire life, and those chickens will come home to roost. I don't know why he thinks we can win this war. I do. I know. I kind of understand what he's trying to do with these tariffs. I mean, there's basically two strategies, right? There's the Trumpian strategy, which is I'm going to raise these tariffs in an in an attempt to force other countries and other countries to lower theirs. I think that's what he's trying to do here, right? He's thinking that well, if I threaten to impose these really brutal tariffs on their goods. They'll have, you know, they'll respond either, well, best case scenario, they'll lower, the, they'll, they'll say, okay, don't do that. We'll lower our, the tariffs on these goods and then you can lower yours, right? I think that's the plan. Um, worst case scenario is kind of like what we're, we're involved in right now. He ratchets up uh, the tariffs that we already have in place and China responds by ratcheting up theirs. Even in like the best case scenario, the result of that strategy is all the countries involved in raising tariffs are making themselves and each other significantly poorer. Along the way, yes, um, the governments collect more in taxes, they get to grow their bureaucracy, they accumulate power, and it sets precedence that it has the right to tax imports however it pleases, you know. And the only other possible strategy, as far as I can tell, when it comes to tariffs, is to lower them, to encourage other countries to do the same, all right? And then we would be exporting more and more goods, which would make our country richer. And, you know, the worst case scenario under this strategy is the other countries don't respond in kind, and they're making themselves worse off as a result. At the very least, you you don't grow the size of our government. You know, maybe they do respond in kind and they lower their tariffs as well. And then everybody's better off. I don't know. This this whole thing is is a complete disaster. We should have truly free trade. There, there it is no business of of the government what two companies in two different countries decide to sell to one another. They should not be involved in this. This makes us all or these manage all these managed trade agreements don't solve any problems. They don't make us richer. They don't make us better off. They don't help American companies. They hurt all of us. If you want to solve more problems, if you want to make us richer as as a people, you need to start moving more toward free trade and not farther away from it. And you know, Trump's out here every day touting this economy how it's the strongest economy in american history and it's all due to his his genius his tax cuts his his tariffs and all this crap our economy is a disaster okay um the entire economy the entire us economy is one big ugly bubble which is exactly what Donald Trump said when he was running for president and he was right about that one of the few things he was actually right on it's built on artificially low interest rates cheap money and government stimulus we have an economy that is completely based on debt and consumption and not savings and production and the real way you grow an economy is not through spending or consuming things it's through savings you save, you accumulate capital, you invest in plant and equipment to increase your productivity, which in turn allows you to produce more stuff at lower costs, okay? And when things cost less, 
people can afford to buy more of them. And what makes us not poor is having stuff. And if stuff is is more abundant and cheaper, we can buy more of it. We can have more stuff. We can be less poor. All right. That makes sense. You know, you'll hear you'll even hear these economists say that our economy is 70 percent consumption. Well, if our economy is 70 percent consumption, which is what you'll hear economists say, it's 70 percent consumption. If you look at our GDP, I mean, that's the problem, right, is that our entire economy is based on consumption and debt and we don't produce anything and we don't save anything. The real way you grow the economy is by saving and producing so if our economy is based on, on consuming things, and all those things that we consume are made overseas, mostly by China, then putting tariffs on those things that we consume, that all, these, all the American people are buying, by putting tariffs on those things, you're, all you're doing is increasing the price of those to the consumer, all right? which means the consumer will buy less of them because the price has gone up. Okay, y'all with me so far? This is this is fairly straightforward, all right? And if people are buying less things from the businesses over here that sell those things, well, those businesses are going to see fewer sales and less profits, right? And what happens when businesses have less profits? Well, sometimes they have to lay off workers, right? Or maybe they were going to expand and hire more workers, and now they can't do that because they didn't make as much money as they were planning on. Okay, so our economy will contract if these tariffs persist. Okay, and it might even push us over the edge into a recession. We are teetering on the brink of recession as it is. We are long overdue for one. Um, we generally have one every you know eight to ten years, and it's been more than ten years since our last recession. But the idea that we have this strong economy is absolutely ridiculous. And there is no difference between the economy under Trump than there was under Obama, than there was under Bush, than there was under under Clinton, except that we have so much more debt. I mean, in 10,000 years of interest, we have the lowest interest rates in the history of interest. You know, there, there, there's actually a book on the history of interest rates, riveting. You can just take my word for it. But they were never lower than they were... From like 2009 to right before uh, Trump took office. We had interest rates at effectively zero for 10 years. All right. And all of these problems that we've been having, the dot-com bubble, the housing bubble, the bubble that's about to burst, what's at the root of those problems is the artificially low interest rates. Okay. Interest rates are just the price of money. Okay. That's all it is. It's just a price to borrow money, right? And what and and the thing about money is, it's basically the blood of the economy, the lifeblood of the economy. It flows through every sector, every corner, every crevice of the economy has money flowing through it, all right. And when you are artificially suppressing the rate of interest, you are essentially sending infected blood all throughout the economy. Interest rates send very important signals to not only consumers, but banks, businesses, and producers that depend on those signals to structure the entire line of production. The importance of interest rates in the economy cannot be overstated. Interest rates are so fucking important. Let's take three, uh, what do I want to call them, actors 
in the economy, right? You have consumers like you and me, right? We consume things. You have producers, you know, companies that produce the goods that we buy, okay? And then you have banks where we store our money and where those companies borrow money to invest in um, plant and equipment to produce the goods that we buy, right? So consumers, producers, and banks. Now, what, what interest rates do is they, they coordinate production over time. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, there are different stages of production, okay? So, you know, when you go to a store and you buy something, you go to a liquor store and you buy a bottle of wine, okay? I happen to be drinking one right now. It is a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Pretty delicious. So you go, you go to the grocery store or you go to a liquor store and you buy a bottle of wine. Well, that's, that's what we call a low order stage of production, right? The lowest order is you buying the, 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 the finished product. But that bottle of wine didn't just appear on the shelf in that store, okay? A whole bunch of stages of production had to take place in order to get that bottle on that shelf for you to buy, okay? So if you, if you start at the very, at, at the highest stage of production, that's the, that would be like the winery growing, growing the grapes to produce the wine. And as you move along, you know, then they, then they turn the, the grapes into wine. You know, you put it in a barrel, you ferment it. Somebody has to make the bottle and the cork. And, and once the wine is, is bottled, it's sent to a, a distributor and the distributor sends it to the So like all those stages of production, you go from high, high order stage, growing the grapes, to the lowest order stage, which is selling you the bottle of wine. Okay. And what interest rates do is coordinate that production. So for a bank, right, a bank needs to have money to loan out. It has to have money to cover withdrawals. And so they use interest rates to entice people to save or not to save, right? So if a bank if a bank is not loaning off not loaning enough money, if they have too much cash in their vaults, they will lower interest rates which will make borrowing cheaper and will entice more people to borrow and if a bank doesn't have enough money in its vaults it will raise interest rates to try to get you and me to save more of our money so when when more people when you and I the ones who buy the bottles of wine are saving money we're putting more money into the bank that's that's doing two things one it's since since the bank now has a larger supply of money that's going to put downward pressure on the interest rates okay so the bank is going to lower the rate of interest the price of borrowing money that's going to go down okay it's a supply and demand thing it's also signaling to the economy that you and I the ones who are saving our money instead of spending it now we are deferring that current consumption for consumption at a future date Okay, so instead of buying stuff right now, we're planning on buying something in five or ten years down the line. And what what those interest rates are are signaling to to the producers is, you know, it now now that interest rates are coming down, it's a better time for you to invest in a longer term project, right? Because it's cheaper to borrow the money. Right? And you can see how that kind of matches up, right? Um, at, the at the same time where 
I'm deciding to hold off on spending. The the companies are being enticed to hold off on selling and invest in future sales by inve- by undertaking an investment in plant and equipment or some long-term project that's going to yield a product that they can sell somewhere down the line, probably around the same time when I'm ready to spend that money that I'm saving. Okay. Are you with me so far? Say yes, even though I can't hear you. Okay. So the other thing that's going on, since you and I are all, we're not spending our money right now, we're saving it, is all those lower stages of production are going to start to contract because we're not buying the goods and services. All right. So as they're contracting, all of these resources that are involved in the the lower stages of production, the labor, the trucks that are shipping the, the goods and services around, all that stuff, all those resources are freed up for the higher stages of production to undertake their long-term project. Because what when you undertake a project, you know, the, the resources, they don't just uh, appear out of thin air. You know, resources are limited. They, they, they don't just uh, fall out of the sky. They don't grow on trees. Well, some of them grow on trees. <laughs> um, but those resources need to be freed up from the lower stages of production so that the higher stages of production can use them. Otherwise, you have um, all stages of production simultaneously uh, fighting over the resources. And whichever stage of production is, is, is more necessary will win out. But, but there, w- there won't be enough resources to go around for all those stages of production. So somebody's going to get screwed somewhere. They won't be able to finish the project, right? So these, these interest rates are not just some arbitrary thing for some bureaucrat, at uh, some unelected bureaucrat at the Federal Reserve to just decide this is the proper rate of interest. No, no, there, there has to be market forces involved to get that rate to clear. There has to be an equilibrium. Otherwise, what happens is you screw up, you, you interrupt that chain of production, and you end up with false signals in the economy that cause people to make bad investments. You know, there are there are signals contained in these prices. It, they aren't just random numbers. Despite what the Federal Reserve will have you believe, they can't just decide what interest rates are going to be. Our wise overlords in Washington cannot know what the rate of interest should be. They can't. And when they start to dictate it, when they say, okay, 2%, that distorts these markets. That tells companies that they should be uh, investing in the future, even though nobody's actually saving. Nobody is saving their money to bring those interest rates down to 2%. So the companies are preparing uh, for a future consumption that's not going to exist because nobody's saving any money for the future. So they're, they're going to spend all this time, all these resources, uh, investing in the future, and there's not going to be any money saved to buy it. And that's what causes these massive disruptions in the economy. I hope I hope that made sense to everybody. Okay, so what what we what we've had over the last twenty years is artificially low interest rates, right? So we've been giving false signals to the higher stages of production that people aren't spending now, that people are that people have been saving for they've been deferring current consumption for future consumption. And, and that now is a good time to borrow a bunch of money and, and invest in longer-term projects, right? But at the same time, people are actually spending money where nobody's saving anything. 
We have like the lowest saving rates. Uh, I mean, they're a little higher now, but in like 2007, le- leading up to 2008, we had the lowest saving rates uh, in, in like the history of the country. Okay, so remember when I was talking about the, the, the different stages of production, fighting over those resources? Well, it, you know, if, if people are spending now and interest rates are artificially low, sending false signals to the higher stages of production and the, the lower stages of production that are, that are constantly selling goods to people who are, are, are you and me are now spending, uh, they're fighting for the resources with the higher stages of production and they're going to win out because people are actually buying things now. And so those higher stages of production are undertaking all these long-term projects and they're not going to have all the resources to finish them. But are, when are they going to figure this out? Well, nobody nobody knows exactly, but when they do, it's going to be devastating to the economy. The economy is going to have to undergo a complete restructuring to reallocate the resources to where they are most needed. That's what that's what happens throughout the entire economy when they they artificially manipulate interest rates. And, and that's why we we have these boom bust cycles, okay? It, it's not a coincidence that we've been artificially suppressing these interest rates and we, we have these boom periods. That's you know, that's when you're you're you start building the house and hey, it looks great, you know, you're you're working, you're building a house, it's gonna everything's uh, sunshine and butterflies, and then you get halfway done, you realize, oh shit, I don't have enough wood to finish the house, I don't have enough bricks to finish the house. Uh we're we're, we're kind of fucked here. And that's the recession, all right? And, and then the sooner you realize that you can't build that house because the materials don't exist, the better off you are. The sooner you can re, you could, you could take a step back and rethink what you're going to do with those resources, what the best use for those resources is, the better off you are. And that's the recession. The recession is the cure. The boom period is, is the sickness. That's the disease. But you see, all these bureaucrats, they've got it ass backwards. They think that the disease is actually good for us. And so they keep trying to sustain it, thinking that they're making us healthier, when in fact it's making us sicker and sicker. And the longer they do it, the, the more they intervene in these markets with, stimu- with government stimulus, the worse the disease gets and the more difficult it's going to be to overcome it. This whole economy is a house of cards. It's all an illusion. And I think Donald Trump even knows this. You know, Trump's out there talking about how strong this economy is out of one side of his mouth, and then on the other side, he's talking about how the Fed needs to stop raising rates and how we need to cut rates. Well, which is it? Because if you have a strong economy, you don't need artificially low interest rates. You don't need 0% interest rates, 1% interest rates. You should be able to handle 4, 5, 6, 7, 10%, whatever the market rate would be if you had a truly strong economy, you wouldn't need government stimulus. So he even knows this. He just can't admit it. He wants to goose this market and um, try to coast into the next election. And then even if this all blows up, well, at least he he got elected for a second term. That's all these politicians care about. I mean, if this does not blow up before the next election, I think he will get reelected. And then it will blow up during a second term. And this entire thing will be blamed on free market capitalism you know, greed, run amok, deregulation, and all, all this crap that's not actually taking place, but that Republicans pay lip service to, will be blamed for a massive failure of government. 
I, I just went through in, in kind of excruciating detail, I'm sure for some of you, even though I barely scratched the surface, of what caused all these problems. And it's the artificially low interest rates, the cheap money, the government meddling in the economy, government stimulus. None of that's going to be to blame. It's all going to be Donald Trump, tax cuts for the rich, right? Uh, deregulation, all, the, all this crap that has nothing to do with it. Nothing. They're going to get the blame. Free market capitalism, once again, will get blamed for the failures of socialism. And, of course, the prescription that the government will come up with is more of what caused the problem in the first place. We will go full-blown socialism, elect a, a Bernie Sanders type. I don't know if it'll be around by then. Hopefully not. But then you'll get like an Ocasio-Cortez or something like that. And, and it, it might be all over for the United States at that point. I don't know if there there will be any coming back from it. Hopefully it's not too late, but we need to learn our lessons of history. We need to learn the correct lessons from history, not this crap that these bureaucrats and that these government schools are teaching people because they've all got it wrong. Why would we be listening to the people, the, the Ben Bernanke's of the world, the, Federal, the chairmen of the Federal Reserve, who right up until the 2008 financial collapse were telling you everything is fine? That there is no housing bubble. There is no problem in the economy. The housing market is sound. You know, all that bullshit. So there's really only two choices, right? They're either too stupid to know what's actually going on or they're lying to you. Either way, you shouldn't be listening to them. This is going to be a disaster. These tariffs, they might push us over the edge into recession. The sooner the better, because like I said, the recession is the cure. The boom is the disease and we have been in a, an artificial boom for the last uh, 10 years. It hasn't been a very robust boom, but we've been chugging along. And it is time, it is long past due to pop this bubble and restructure this economy and start building an economy that, that, that has legs, that has a strong foundation, that's built on savings and production and not debt and consumption. So if you're tired of being lied to, by fake economists, by bureaucrats in Washington, and these phony politicians. You're tired of not understanding what's really going on with the economy and the effect that our government is having on your daily life. I need you to do a couple things for me. First, of course, I need you to keep listening. I need you to help me spread these ideas so you can spread them yourself. If you're not comfortable doing that, send them here. Send them to me. Share the show. And that way, we can get more people to, to really understand what's going on in the world around us. And lastly, I need you to leave us a nice rating and review. Five stars if you think the show's worth it on whatever platform you're listening to. And you can always check out our website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com. There you can support the show through a donation. This podcast is only possible because you guys are, are not only listening and sharing the show, but supporting it monetarily. So anything that you can donate to help keep the lights on around here will go a long way to spreading these ideas and hopefully helping implement the much-needed changes in our society. If you can do all that for me, I promise that I will keep coming back to help show you the way. And until then, please remember to just keep peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. <laughs>